Thought Leadership from PwC. Today we're back with the CEO of the Global Reporting Initiative. This is PwC's accounting podcast. So for GRI for 2024 and 2025, our holy trinity is easy to comply at low cost with visible value add. And this easy to comply at low cost can only be can only happen, can only be constructed when we have the tools and the technological means to do so, which means the digital taxonomy in place. Mm-hmm. And the more and more aligned the standards are. I'm Heather Horn, and thanks so much for joining us today. You may be surprised to hear that one of our most downloaded ESG-related podcast episodes was not focused on any of the mandatory reporting proposals, but instead was actually on a set of voluntary reporting standards, the Global Reporting Initiative, or GRI. With more than 10,000 companies around the world using its standards, GRI continues to be a major player in the ESG reporting space, even with the advancement of mandatory reporting proposals. So what's ahead for the organization? And what's the role that impact reporting will play in the future ESG reporting ecosystem? Our guest today will cover those questions and more. Back with us on the podcast, I'm happy to welcome Ilko Vanderenden, the CEO of GRI. Our discussion today will bring you the latest on their collaborations and initiatives. With that, here's my conversation with Ilko. So Ilko, welcome back to the podcast. I was just reflecting, I think it's been a year since we spoke, so it's perfect timing to kind of look back. And I know it's been a big year for GRI, but maybe we can just start things off by talking about some of the things, as you reflect, that you'd be most proud of that were accomplished over, let's say, 2023 into the first few weeks of 2024. Thank you. It's uh, great to be back again. And yes, indeed, it has been uh, it has been quite a ride, uh, uh, 2023, and very positive it has been indeed. I think our collaboration with our friends of the ISSB and the IFRS Foundation, and I will elaborate on that shortly, as well as working together with uh, Europe, with our friends of EFREC, has brought a lot of uh, good and positive news for reporters and users of standards. Uh, and why? Well, well, let's start first with the, uh, the EU. We more or less achieved uh, full interoperability between the GRI standards and the European Sustainability Reporting Standards on the impact side. We were able to, uh, to publish a linkage document on this that easily guides GRI users towards the European uh, standards. Um, We agreed with Europe to build a digital taxonomy around it so that you get an, uh, let's call it an automated infrastructure whereby with one report you meet two standards, GRI and ESRS and why that is important also in relationship with our work with the ISSB, uh, uh, I will explain. Um, With Europe, we also concluded a new memorandum of understanding in a bit more detailed than the previous one. So we will support them in standard setting activities, especially around the so-called sector standards. 
and we will help Europe in designing a training and education infrastructure for all businesses in Europe and from 2028 outside that fall within the scope of, uh, of uh, the ESRS. So the good news is that if you understand GRI or you are a GRI reporter as a business, you are more than very well prepared to meet European regulations in this one. So that is the European part. Our relationship with the ISSB and IFRS Foundation was improved, not only when you look at the technical work and technical activities. No, it's broader. Uh, we all see that setting standards for the sake of setting standards is no longer enough. You need to be able to put standards into the context of the global reporting landscape, not only reporting, but also uh, macroeconomic and political. What is the use of standards if people do not understand how to use them and if information needed mm -hmm. uh, for the standards cannot be provided or is of poor quality because the major players in the supply and value chains do not know how to get access to that information. So with the IFRS Foundation, uh, we as GRI, we entered into a memorandum of understanding uh, with the foundation of the Sustainability Innovation Lab in Singapore. And that basically deals with broader issues in supply chains, whether it is about assurance, uh, legal, or financial, whether it has to do with interoperability, easy to comply and te uh, digital taxonomies, supporting small medium enterprises as suppliers of goods and services of the manufacturers that need to provide, for example, scope three information, but also public organizations as uh, reporters and important parties that have to deal with issues within uh, environmental, social or governmental. So that, let's call it uh, joint operation or joint venture, uh, clearly indicates that we are on the same views what the direction is travel should be. And I'm pretty sure that we will uh, extend our uh, cooperation with the ISSB uh, towards this global baseline in 2024, even far further than we currently do. So obviously, that's a very long list of accomplishments. And I think if we start or stick with the EU for a moment, I want to go back to the digital taxonomy, because um, as I mentioned to Ilko before we started our discussion, and for regular listeners, you'll be aware, we I did have an opportunity to interview John Turner, who's the CEO of the XPRL organization. And he definitely convinced me of the importance of this taxonomy. And so I think, Ilko, it's maybe worth spending just a minute explaining to our listeners why it is so important that you're working together to use the same digital taxonomy between ESRS and GRI reporting. The best explanation, I think, is it's about speaking the same language. If you speak the same language, it's easier to understand each other than if one person speaks French and the other English. So the digital taxonomy, in this case, between uh, GRI and EFREC ESRS is that it's about tagging data points on those types of 
information you need to file that have the same definition and the same meaning. So first of all, you start with what we call then the legal taxonomy. So where do we see the commonalities and the interoperabilities between the standards? If we then can digitize that part, then automatically, if you hit a data point under ESRS that is the same as under GRI, you don't need to double the work. Mm -hmm. So more or less by default, then you get since this interoperability between GRI and ESRS is very far for 90%, it's the same by preparing your ESRS uh, report, you pick up all the data points that is also applicable for GRI. So basically with one report, you more or less comply with two different standards. And that is a big game changer and is really reducing cost of compliance. And for GRI, for 2024 and 2025, our holy trinity is easy to comply at low cost with visible value add. That is what be the, the direction of travel for GRI. And that means that we need to cooperate very closely with our friends and colleagues of the ISSB and in Europe. And this easy to comply at low cost can only be, can only happen, can only be constructed when we have the tools and the technological means to do so, which means the digital taxonomy in place. Mm -hmm. And the more and more aligned the standards are, so the more definitions are equal, the frameworks are equal you work in, and preferably also work programs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I think from the alignment perspective, you definitely do not need to convince our listeners because I know from talking to companies, one of the biggest challenges that they're facing is compliance with multiple different, I'll use word, regimes. So let's say you are having to comply with ESRS. Maybe you are already a GRI reporter. You're looking at complying with the California standards, you have operations where they're looking at ISSB. I mean, this is, you know, it's, it really can be quite a challenge. And I think part of the benefit of this digital taxonomy is taking this step back and saying it all starts with the data. And so identify the data you need for all of these. And if you start there, it makes this sort of interwoven fabric of all this different reporting a lot easier for a company to manage. Absolutely, absolutely. And also, if we if we look at why are we doing this all, mm -hmm. eh, what was the yes. starting point? <laughs> well, we need comparable data on a global scale to make proper decisions based on facts. So the more comparable it is, mm -hmm. the better it is for investors and other people that are interested in uh, information on impacts or financial impacts. If that's our objective, then how can we make sure we move in that direction in the most easy way, uh, in the most low compliance cost way that we can? That is by aligning as much as we can within, of course, the, uh, the purpose the various organizations has set for their stakeholders, specific stakeholders. But if you look at, at, at at ISSB, uh, stakeholders, uh, investors, financial, GRI. It is uh, impacts, multi-stakeholder. Mm -hmm. There is in fact nothing that would prohibit or say you cannot align. 
mm-hmm. or you cannot work together. Because most of the objectives the users of these standards have, both for information as reporters, are quite the same. So there are so many commonalities that it is less of a technical issue than more of a getting used to the fact that this is all perhaps less complicated than we think to make it work. We, that I think is something that sits within human nature, we are very good at coming with reasons why something cannot work. Mm -hmm. And sometimes blowing out of proportion certain specific technical topics to either take a position or something you have a strong belief in. Whereas do it the other way around. Let's first look what the commonalities are and then see if there are indeed serious topics that would prevent us from aligning more. That's an approach that's far more easier and far more constructive. And I think uh, with the ISSB and then also uh, with EVREC, we have been able uh, to achieve that. And that's uh, what we uh, will keep pushing for. Well, I will definitely chime in and say that I know... Uh, speaking for many of my PwC colleagues and many who are working to develop guidance and otherwise, we also are looking for those commonalities because I think, again, if we took the position of a multinational, the more things are in common versus the less, the better. You did touch on something, though, I think is interesting and that, again, has been quite a topic of conversation within PwC and, and with some of our clients, which is the overlap between impact reporting or impact materiality and financial materiality. And and you've kind of touched on this, but how do you think about that? Because I think you made the point, your users are looking at sort of that totality of information. Yeah, uh, it may be technically not the purest way how to describe it, but it's a timing difference. Uh, Impact is forward-looking. It is not per se financially driven as such, but it will have a financial impact for sure over time. It is a bit of a longer-term risk management. Uh, You cannot deny that in a time with demographic uh, challenges, uh, a proper HR policy taking into account all the issues like safe workplace, diversity, equal pay, etc., that that is something that will have an impact on the functioning, proper functioning of your business. Or that climate change and all the legislation that's being introduced to, to combat the negative effects of climate change do not have an effect on your bottom line in time. Something that is not directly uh, monetizable, but in the old days, but that we've seen changing, uh, the price of a ton of carbon in Europe went in five years from five euros to 175 Mm -hmm. euros, which is something that uh, was created on the back of climate change regulations. Uh, So your impact on climate with your emissions in the days like five years ago, Mm -hmm. people did not really take account of. You then see over time that it has a tremendous impact on your bottom line because it went like a thousand times as expensive Mm -hmm. as it was before. 
So this nearly predictive analyzing, uh, like uh, the, the, the work the uh, International Foundation for Evaluation of Impacts is trying to put a, a methodology and a module around, I think it's very important. In the end, perhaps an old activistic approach whereby monetizing impacts was seen as something unethical, I have far less problems with that. Why? Uh, if there are parties or investors or, or businesses that want to also see the monetizable effects of their impacts in order to be able to see what a return on investment would be. And if that would lead to redirecting capital flows and investment streams for the better of humanity and that it coincides with profitable business, then how can you be against that? If that is contributing to solutions for the greater good whilst making a profit, I think that is exactly what the transformation of a global economic model is all about. Securing growth, doing profitable business in a sustainable way which is good for humanity, the communities you operate in, biodiversity and so forth. They are not opposing forces. Uh, that is something that I think is the biggest change over the last couple of years that you see, that making profit and being sustainable are not opposing forces. They can be combined, they have to be combined because we need to pay for the transition. And the work we do and the work the ISSB does and what Europe is working with is basically contributing to this transition of a global economic model. Hence the importance, and we get back to the Sustainability yes. Innovation Lab, of supply chains and value change and enabling them to also participate in this new economic reality. So there everything comes together. So I've, I have many follow-up questions, but I'm going to pick up on your last point there, because one of the things, we're recording this here in the U.S., and obviously lots of different views in the U.S. on climate change and, and all of this sustainability reporting, but one of the things that comes up frequently is that, well, you can't make the farmers have to do this reporting, right? That's, it's going to be too much work. It's too much of a burden. And, you know, you get into scope three GHG emissions. And obviously, this is not just about emissions because all the supply chain issue is broader, but I think it's helpful in that context. And so when you hear this type of criticism, well, it's not fair to this small farmer, although there's a lot of factory farms as well. So it's not just small farmers, but when it's not fair to these small companies, then how do you think about that? If, if they have this added reporting, you know, whether it's a, a company in the U S or a company someplace else in the world that to help the companies buying their goods comply with their reporting requirements. Now this supplier has to comply. That is a, such a critical factor in making it successful. If, if, if we assume that uh, 80% of global GDP depends on smaller and medium enterprises. And if they would not join the bandwagon mm -hmm. and trans uh, transform the way how they operate, then what the hell are we doing here? Right, you right. Know? So, so, <laughs> yeah. so that makes no sense. There. No, right. so we're not going to get there. So we must, uh, we must really take care to onboard smaller, medium enterprises, which takes time which means that we need to incentivize behavior and not punishing it. And you are punishing 
smaller medium enterprises and farmers if you put on more rules and more compliance with any notice without any noticeable kickback mm-hmm. that will not work then you do not get voluntarily compliance of rules voluntarily compliance is always the best because it's most cheap to uh, to enforce yes of course. <laughs> uh, yeah but not many politicians think like that they think that a rule by itself will change behavior it will not voluntarily compliance will And that can only work if people see that what it does adds value, is easy to comply and at low cost. So we should be better in understanding the whole supply chain and those that need to provide that information to the larger manufacturers. What will happen if that is not the case? Then you will see that the burden of the compliance, the burden of reporting will be shifted upon these smaller mm-hmm. enterprises. And if not, there will be contractual left out. We already see large businesses with their manufacturers, including contractual obligations to provide this so-called scope three information, mm-hmm. which then the manufacturer will push on towards their suppliers that have no clue what to do. So then what do we then what do we solve? So we need to incentivize, we need to really think of a different set of reporting standards for these smaller medium enterprises that are more fit for their specific uh, size and industry they work in. More and better understanding how this works. Also the questions we get from uh, large uh, procurement organizations, procurement officers in businesses that are suddenly being confronted with stuff they right. were never confronted with. No, and they they don't even necessarily understand all what's needed or the purpose of what's needed. Yeah. It is a <clears throat> difficult question for them as well. It is, uh, but but you 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 mentioned farmers. Uh, biodiversity, and uh, we shortly launch a biodiversity standard. Mm-hmm. Every farmer will understand that long-term monoculture will ruin his business. But how can you support them in making sure that they find the means to not engage in uh, monoculture and not feel uh, being, being pushed around by suddenly having to report on this stuff Whereas there is no single incentive or contribution from either their clients or government to make sure that they will have a way to uh, transform into a sustainable agricultural uh, organization. And the interaction, and that's also what we try to achieve with the uh, Innovation Lab, the interaction and the way how the larger businesses speak to their smaller uh, suppliers is also something new that we need to learn and that we need to be, I think, more transparent about and understanding what the problems of their suppliers are. If the large businesses are dependent on the services and goods of the smaller suppliers, then we must find a balance in between what you may expect them to do and how you can help them as business in providing that information. 
So I think if I remember correctly, you launched the Innovation Lab in November. Yep. So obviously it's just been a few months, but any early days thoughts or really this is going to take time to identify the benefits to these smaller companies because you talked about incentivizing them. Well, obviously, if there's benefit to their business, that will be an incentive, but or is it going to take more time to sort of identify why this can be helpful as well for these small and medium-sized businesses? Um, we are working on a plan uh, uh, and a program whereby uh, the procurement officers and smaller business representatives get together to see what the issues are on a per-industry basis and how they could be incentivized. Uh, and I guess just understanding each other, yes. right? That's the starting point. Yes, yes. If you... If you are a small company in Kuala Lumpur, for example, your first thoughts are on how you're going to feed your family, pay for the school tuition fees, mm-hmm. and all those things that, that decides decision on our everyday life. Uh, thinking green and sustainable may come second. And we need to respect that taking care of your family is for you on a daily basis more important mm-hmm. than thinking about plastic wastes or whatever mm-hmm. in your production process. So it is about education and incentivizing to make sure that thinking about those topics is not interfering with your capabilities of taking care of your family. Mm-hmm. And, and in fact, it is as simple as that. We can come up with all kinds of things, <laughs> but it is how how are you going uh, not to interfere in a negative way in the daily life of, of people's livelihood by making sure that it will not have a negative contribution towards environmental, social, and governmental issues. So better understanding. And conceptually, most large businesses we deal with and investors we deal with they see this and they also see that it is a long-term mm-hmm. investment you have to take uh, to take in that direction because in 20, 25 years, your business still needs to be there. You have to pay the pensions of the people that now pay the premiums. So if everything uh, goes goes wrong, then you cannot uh, meet the commitments you made today. Many see that and that is... Also, where sometimes uh, you, you, you have these discussions on back to the standards, mm-hmm. why, why we really need to rethink uh, what we are doing and why we are doing it. We need get to go back to, uh, to the basis. Not too long ago, there was this somehow push that they, uh, some in business, were uh, describing the GRI, uh, FREC, ISSB thing as, as a competition. Mm, I've heard yep. that as so, well. So uh, ISSB, we are here. Uh, they are there for investors, and GRI is there for uh, for other stakeholders, mm-hmm. and uh, that's black and white. So I am looking for, uh, for return on investment. So ISSB, forget about GRI; it's a waste of time. Or the other way around, and no, the investors they are not interested in the well-being of the planet, and it's all short-term. Blah blah blah. It's both nonsensical, it's cartoonesque. (laughs) Uh, Define the investor. Who is the investor? Is that the day trader, the flash trader, the institutional investor, the pension fund, the asset manager? 
There is not one the investor. You have focus areas in time, in product, and in industry. And that's how you build a strategy. And not, well, that's not true. Some investors are alike, of course. <laughs> Many are alike. Yeah. But there is a difference between a day trader and an institutional investor. What's in a word? Well, the, the timing, the day, or, or, or the longer term. Again, back to looking at the problem why you cannot align. Uh, this is one of them. And you say, okay, that is investor and that is... But there is not that big a difference in uh, if you look at what the objectives are of, of both sets. You always have extremes, but forget about extremes. If you look at the median, then the objectives of the investors and the other stakeholders on the longer term are pretty much the same. Well, and I think it's interesting because I know you spend time talking to investors and I do think there's a, a fallacy that investors don't care about impact materiality so that, you know, GRI reporting is not for investors, but I know you're talking to them. So maybe you can give some perspective on that. Yeah, well, uh, during our uh, Asian uh, travels, there was this uh, uh, funny uh, discussion uh, between uh, uh, a couple of investors and, and, and the regulator. Uh, and it was also on GRI and ISSB and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then suddenly uh, the question came, it was again from, this is for investors. And I I will not tell the name of that organization, by the way. <laughs> but uh, uh, the lady in question said then to uh, the person of the, 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 the regulating authority, so you are telling me now that what I have been reporting for the last 15 years has not been of any interest to our investors. Because the way how you phrased it in public made me, as chief sustainability mm -hmm. officer, to have a visit to my CFO whether or not we've done a good job the last 15 years. Mm. So the framing was not that well thought through by some of these regulators. I mean, if ISB, if ISB, an investor, everyone yeah. would be happy. And in the past, everything apparently was crap. That's, of course, not true. No. <laughs> it's very good that, there, that there's ISSB. It's very necessary that they're there for your financial side. Mm -hmm. But that's why this global comprehensive baseline ISSB GRI is so important because you cover them both. Mm -hmm. It's the two sides of the same coin. And it makes perfectly sense that you can and should report on them both. If you go back to the European thing, the, 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 the near equivalence or the, the nearly full interoperability between the impact side of the uh, ESRS and GRI, so if you use GRI, you are compliant, let's say, what it is, as it is with ESRS there. But you're from also a part for the infrastructure of the global comprehensive baseline with the ISSB. Because we know many regulators around the globe would not like to see businesses report less than they currently do. Mm -hmm. So what we must do is make the new entry, which is ISSB, which I hope will be onboarded by all countries that have onboarded international accounting standards of the same organization. Yes. That you will see this, this information set with the comparable data uh, being implemented then on a global scale. Because if you then use GRI, you have ISSB, you fit within the global framework and you automatically also fit within ESRS. 
So yeah, that is uh, the direction of travel, we think. So I'm going to go back to our company in Kuala Lumpur, who's likely not listening to this podcast, although maybe some of their users are. Uh, And you mentioned reporting for these smaller companies. And I do think this is an important issue for the larger companies, because if you're not getting consistent reporting or everything's bespoke, and it's almost like if we rewind 10 years, maybe to where there was a lot more just in general bespoke type of sustainability reporting. What do you see as filling that gap then? Is that the SME standards we're going to see coming out from FRAG as, you know, other efforts? What What is your view on uh, what's going to help with that? Because again, I know that's something you're focused on. Uh, small, medium enterprises are critical. Small, medium enterprise uh, reporting is, I think, in the longer term, a good idea uh, as part of financial reporting. Mm-hmm but it is the way how to construct it and how to deal with it and how to implement it. That is absolutely, absolutely critical. If it's not easy to comply and if it is expensive, then you will see a lot of pushback. Uh, That will be detrimental to the whole thing we try to achieve. So most people, most businesses know that uh, fresh air and, and a safe workplace are good for your business, you know. But if it means that you need to put a large investment in reporting how you deal with those topics, mm-hmm. then people will say, "What? What? What's the use? Right. What? What? What do I get in return?" So how should how should you construct that? Not in the traditional legal way. So not traditional. Okay, we build now a standard, and mm-hmm. this is the standard, and now see how you can comply. And afterwards, we we are going to develop a couple of tools and then we can, I would do it differently. And that's also one of the uh, chapters we have in our innovation lab, of course. I would do this via reverse engineering, having done some policy uh, work in the past on text, by the way. (laughs) Uh, Reverse engineering, what do I mean with that? I think if you look at the easy to comply at low cost, you first must look at the common denominator of the reporting systems that these small, medium enterprises use, preferably per industry. We all know that you have to file your tax returns and your statutory financial accounts at least once a year. What are the systems that they are using? Can those systems be in such a way uh, enhanced or changed that specific information on environmental issues can also be included in that filing process already? And if we look first at it from a technical point of view, what the possibilities are, then can we come with the regulations where we think in a multi-stakeholder approach with the specialists that this will contribute most to useful information and change, because that's, of course, behind it, in the production processes of these organizations. That would be my very strong advice to regulators and lawmakers, not the traditional way. We sit here with a group of legal minds with some specialists behind it. We design a piece of legislation Mm -hmm. And we send it into society without thinking of what the collateral damage can be to other industries, suppliers of the suppliers, extraterritorial effects, uh, uh, the competition, the competitiveness effects of something like this. 
how you can easy comply, but not only easy to comply, how as uh, auditor you can more easy assess whether or not that information mm-hmm. is there is right. So the approach would be more reverse engineered, always begin with the end in mind, then that you start with the topic itself and try to build a legal framework around certain information you want to have. I'm pretty much convinced if you would not do it in this way, the reverse engineer way, uh, you will end up with a lot of pushback, a lot of resistance, and in the end will not achieve what you try to achieve, which is less pollutive uh, business activities by small and medium enterprises. So it's interesting listening to you talk about policy and otherwise. And I, th- I think that's one of the things hopefully that will be coming from your innovation lab is thinking that through. But really, we've touched on it several times, but maybe taking a step back, if you want to talk just a little bit about big picture, then what has happened in the two months since you guys have opened? Yeah. Well, first of all, uh, Emmanuel and I, we were uh, uh, really stunned and surprised with the popularity of the whole concept of the Innovation Lab. So uh, when we announced it uh, at our grand opening uh, back in, uh, in November, there was a portal where you could ask questions uh, on the workings, etc., etc. After a minute, it crashed. There were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of questions wow. from people and organizations around the globe. It, it, the system couldn't handle the amount of questions. That's a good problem that, to have. That, that, <laughs> that, is a, that was a very good problem to have. Uh, so that's one. The second one is that there is keen interest to introduce the same concept in Europe, mm-hmm. Latin America, and the United States, uh, which, of course, well, we, we are a small organization, yes. of course. but uh, So conceptually, uh, we will uh, consider on how to construct that. Uh, We've made great progress with the uh, digital taxonomy in Asia with countries based on the uh, the GRI performance Mm -hmm. in trying to onboard uh, a couple of countries. So that's going in the right direction. We're working on a plan indeed for the reverse engineering uh, idea for the smaller medium enterprises. We are uh, in discussion for training and education programs for civil servants mm-hmm. for first understanding what the topics are that are at stake before you can go to reporting as yes, exactly what Ipsosby is doing. Mm-hmm. So they're also keen to see uh, how they can uh, can join in on sale on, on that on that part. The concept we discuss uh, and we will be discussing with various law firms on how to onboard the legal professionals when it comes to sustainability-related topics at book building for IPOs, uh, mergers and acquisitions, mm-hmm. the whole concept of greenwashing, etc., etc., etc. So we will, uh, we will categorize the various topics that we're currently working on, and then we will make progress reports. But it's, uh, it's, it's looking quite fantastic. It's... it's It's a business model by itself, and it is exactly achieving what we wanted it to do, basically also showing regulators and politicians that there is so much more behind sustainability reporting Mm -hmm. than filing the bloody report. It is about the 
infrastructure, getting the infrastructure right from the supply and value change, enabling to provide proper information, to provide comparable data, which is easy to comply at locals with. And that is, that already worked. Uh, now it's up on us to deliver. Uh, I'm afraid it will never be fully done well. because we will always see our challenges. But the fact that it is that popular and that so many uh, businesses, investors, people, academics, governments, institutes, all want to participate and, and, and join in is uh, very rewarding. Yeah, fantastic. And definitely sounds like something we'll need to keep talking about. But again, so many follow-up questions, but one in particular, which is, I think you make such an important point that we focus so much here on the podcast, all these organizations, we're all focused on reporting. But ultimately, the purpose of the reporting is to to change, to address climate change, to address other things. And you mentioned earlier monoculture. And that's something that I've been very interested in after reading about, uh, well, I was interested obviously anyway, but I, I'm sure some of our listeners would have seen this too, that there's now a question about some of this, you know, the billion trees project or the million trees project, because just planting all the same tree is not going to solve some of our biodiversity problems. You and GRI are coming out with a new biodiversity standard, which is, again, is another one of your exciting accomplishments. So what do you think will be the reaction to the standard? And, and do you think it will help deal with some of these issues we're seeing greatly in the biodiversity space? Yeah. Well, to, to, to get... Back to your uh, planting the same tree. Yeah. Uh, look what's happening in uh, palm oil. Uh, if you fly over them, it's very depressing sight. Uh, and it is not sustainable. No. Uh, as a business model. Right. Because for all the obvious reasons. So the uh, uh, the standard is building on, on the work also of uh, TNFD. We've mm -hmm. been in very, very close cooperation with them. Uh, what we uh, hope and expect the biodiversity standard will bring is more understanding on the importance of biodiversity for the food chains, uh, for the planet and humanity as such. It is something that is relatively new in the minds of people, its importance. Mm -hmm. uh, so these the launch uh, will be also a triggering event for many organizations to rethink what their position is on biodiversity and also show multi-stakeholder audience and also the investors the importance mm -hmm. of biodiversity and taking it on board and that we all can play our little part in it. The interesting thing is, of course, here, what you see again. So you have TNFD, like we had TCFD. Yes. That's being now part of the ISSB, GRI working very closely together with TNFD mm -hmm. and taking the framework on board for its standard. And there you see we are all growing together again, which is better for everyone. So here you see alignment, real life working for all those cynics that say that it's not true. It is true. We do it. We live it. We live it every day. And biodiversity is for not only something that is important for rural com uh, communities or agri and aquacultures uh, like that. No, it is something that is affecting our everyday life. And we start now to understand the biologists and scientists that deal with this, 
how important the intricate structure is, the interconnectivity between the ecosystems, Mm -hmm. the workings, the fine balance that need to be maintained in order to avoid catastrophes. We know that lack of biodiversity and in combination, which is of course also something influenced by climate change, leads to mass migration towards Europe and uh, uh, and here in in the United States, which triggers a lot a lot a lot of social problems, mm-hmm. which are detrimental to the uh, socio-economic cohesion of our societies. So it is huge, and we hope to contribute to solving some of these issues in a positive way, not by saying that people do everything wrong, but just building understanding. Um, so the launch will follow shortly. I hope you will like it. Yes. We're, we're very <laughs> proud. Our standards division has again did an amazing, uh, amazing piece of work. Uh, very, very proud of them. And uh, we hope that it will be uh, onboarded by many organizations. And if there are any questions on the content, etc., cetera, uh, you know where to reach our specialists, and we're more than uh, happy to help you. All right. Well, we may have to do a follow-up. And I think, you know, it's interesting, Ilko, you raised such a good point that all of these problems are interrelated. And I think sometimes it does become overwhelming because, well, what if we don't fix one of them fast enough? Then what's the knock-on effect? And there's social and climate and biodiversity, and, you know, they're all intertwined. And reporting does have a key role. And I think you've given us you know, a huge number of accomplishments for 2023. So just curious, um, I could talk to you all day, but I know I need to, to wrap things up. So as you look ahead for the remainder of 2024, what is top of mind for you in terms of which of these problems you will be tackling as GRI? Uh, first of all, it's further aligning our activities with ISSB and uh, building on uh, with, uh, with Europe. That is, uh, uh, we'll put a lot of effort in that, of course. Secondly, uh, the topics of the innovation lab, a uh, very important one is indeed small, medium enterprises, not as reporters per se, but more as part of the supply chain and the provider of necessary information in scope three. Yeah, that is a very important one. So we will give a full full push on that one. As on the interoperability and easy to comply, the digital taxonomy and the digitization mm-hmm. of the standards and of the reporting processes between the various standard setters. Those are absolutely, absolutely crucial. And for GRI, it's uh, building more, uh, more capacity and uh, making sure that we get uh, that we scale up the organization uh, and uh, that thereby we can contribute to uh, well to a better world that's where we all do it for yes <laughs> all right well it's hard to top your final statement so maybe that's a good place to wrap up but i do want to thank you uh, for joining us today and sharing all your insight and also for all the leadership you're showing with gri and the work that you guys are doing so thank you so much thank you very much take care bye that's our show for today Tune in next week for more fresh episodes so that you never miss any of our audio content. Follow the PwC Accounting Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
And to stay up to date on all our latest accounting and reporting news, sign up for our newsletter at viewpoint.pwc.com. From Thought Leadership at PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates, and they sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors, including accountants and lawyers.